Anyway, we are wel- uh, welcome, glad you are here. Um, I'm thankful to, to be able to stand before you once again. Uh, Pastor Frank gives me an opportunity uh, to uh, earn my pay. And so here I am today to share with you. Um, you know, I, I recently just finished up a, a few weeks ago with junior pro basketball. Who praise the Lord. Uh, and, and before that, it was upward flag football. And, you know, it's something that I've realized, you know, there's a rule book. Upward sends me one with all the rules in it. And, you know, this is our fifth or sixth year, I think, fifth or sixth year with Upward, something like that. And uh, it's, it's interesting, every year, even in basketball with Junior Pro, we, we have a rule book that has all the rules in it, you know. And, uh, you know, when we, we try to follow that, and it gives us the idea of how the game is supposed to be played, right? You know, but when we're talking about obeying God, I, I think we're not necessarily talking about following the rules like we would with junior pro basketball or upward flag football. Um, you know, when we play a game, we have to follow these rules, right? And it's what's interesting is, like I said, we always have this book of rules, and it's normally always up there by the press box or, or, or where the people are in charge where we can go, hey. Let me, let me look at those rules, because the reason we're actually checking the rules is not, it's because we want to make sure that the other team is playing by the rules, is that right? And you know what I found out, uh, Pastor Frank, is in Junior Pro and also with Upward, let's see, we had 18 teams in Upward, and I think we had 12 teams in Junior Pro, and then, uh, none of the coaches read the rule book. You know, they thought they knew the rules, but, you know, there's certain rules that we threw in there to make the game this way or that way. And it's interesting that a lot of times the rules were not being read. Um, You know, uh, rules are are rules, right? I mean, they are what we need to play the game correctly. Um, But, you know, I think sometimes we do this with with our faith we we look for the rules you know uh i think sometimes we call this the rule book you know and we look at this book sometimes to find out if you are playing by the rules you know that's what we as christians do um we 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 look at this and make sure that the rules uh are, are being played by everyone and you know the rules are do what they make it fair, right? They make the game fair. Um, everyone uh, obeys uh, so the game is fair. Everyone obeys so the game is fair. And, you know, here's the deal. Uh, the best player, what? Gets the prize, right? The best player normally gets the prize. And so here, here's my question today for us as a church. If living is not, which is what I'm talking about today, is not about keeping a set of rules, then, then what would it be about? If living uh, is, is not, uh, 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 in, if living in obedience, let me just say it that way, if living in obedience is, isn't about keeping the rules, then what's it about? You know, um, I think I know what it's about. I think it's about, if, if, if living in obedience is, I think it's about 
having the right perspective of who God is. You know, having the right perspective of who God is. So I have two questions. One, the first one is, how do I know what the right perspective of God is? Or, or who God is? What's the right perspective of who God is? And how can we, how can I uh, live a life like Jesus, and not for the rules, but for the love of our Heavenly Father? These are the two questions I want us to look at today. And so I'm going to use the book of Job. How many of you have read the book of Job? There's 42. uh, Good, good. So this will be easy for you guys. Most of you guys will be able to uh, keep up um, with the the scenario here. So we're going to look at the Job. And I, I think personally, Job's perspective of who God is is what made him so great to me. I mean, of of what he thought about God, you know, and and he had an adequate, um, he had an adequate uh, perspective of God. He had an appropriate uh, theology of God, in a sense, and um, you know, he he, and, and then we can still see that he was mystified a lot by God when we read the Book of Job. We can see that he had these questions. And so let's look. I have it on the screen for you. We're going to look at verse 1. Um, verse 1, chapter 1. Boy, that's small, isn't it? Oh, no, it's bigger there. It's just small back there. Maybe it's because I need these. <laughs> anyway, uh, there was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word, Lord God. Speak to us in a clear way that we might be effective for your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So some scriptures, some of your, um, some of your translations may say blameless, may say perfect integrity. Um, I think Job understood what God expected of his people. Job understood that, and he glorified God with all that he had with his possessions, with his family. I mean, he taught them how to honor God. He taught them how to worship. Um, and if you read the story, most of you have, he even uh, sacrificed extra stuff for his children just in case they sinned and didn't make a sacrifice for themselves. So I have this question for me and for you. Have you ever felt responsible for your children's relationship with God? Absolutely. And we are. That's why it's so important to bring them here. So then the word of God can speak to them because they're not going to listen to you. (laughs) They're not going to listen to me. But they're going to listen to him because he speaks and he talks to his children. Amen? And and so this is... um, This is important that we, we understand that, that we are, in a way, responsible for our children. And so here in this story, we're going to look and see how Satan, who do we know, what do we know about Satan? He's the accuser, amen? He stands before God and accuses us. Um, and if you read this story, I don't know about you, but it literally starts out, and we're not going to talk a whole lot about that, but it's a divine meeting because it talks about for uh, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan was there too. I don't know about you, but that's a divine realm meeting that we know nothing about. This is a spiritual uh, a realm uh, where we do not think about as often as we probably should. But, suge- but here, here we see Satan suggest to God 
in, in this story that Job is only good because he's been rewarded with, with great wealth and, and a lot of health. Um, worldly blessings. This is what Satan, in the story, we're not going to read it because it's a lot, but in the story, Satan's like, you know, the only reason Job is so righteous, like you said he was, is because all the stuff he has. Let's look what it says in Scripture. Chapter uh, 1, verses 9 through 11, it says this, Satan answered to the Lord, and does Job fear God for nothing? Next verse, it says, haven't you placed a hedge around him? This is where we get that hedge of protection. Uh, haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and, and his possessions have increased in the land. Verse 11, it says, But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to his face. Now, most of you know that you, you said you raised your hand and you read the, the story before. Satan uh, takes all of Job's possessions and his children. They pass away. But here we find Job remains faithful and he gives no blame to God. Um, as Satan, after that, you know, he takes Job's health. Um, Job still does not sin, we see in the story. Job's friends, they come and try to help and, and help him, but obviously they're no help whatsoever. Uh, the Lord speaks and sets everyone straight. Now, in chapter 38, when, 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 when the Lord speaks to Job, he, he kind of lets Job have it. And, you know, kind of like Job, Job wanted answers directly from God. I found myself going, God, just answer me. I've been asking and I've been asking and I've been praying and I've been faithful and I still don't have the answer. Haven't you wanted God to answer you? That's what Job was saying. He wanted an answer. Um, he, he wanted answers directly from God. And see, when we read the story, we see that Job's friends thought that the reason Job was suffering because obviously he has sinned, and that's why he's being punished. Let me help you understand the theology of that day, and it still exists today, even in our church, unfortunately. But the theology that they had back then was the rich was rich because they were righteous. Obviously, they were doing the right thing in God's eyes, so he was providing for them. And if you were poor and unhealthy, well, it was obvious that you had sin in your life, and that was God's punishment. I mean, that was literally the way they thought of God then at that time. And we're going to see how that whole thing was just kind of messed up for them. That's what Job's friends were saying. Dude, surely you've you, you done something. And Job, in the story, when we read it, you, maybe you should, you should definitely go home and read it. They're going, Job's like, no, dude, there's nothing. I didn't do nothing. And so he was wanting to know, God, come on, tell me why. I'm, I'm having to deal with this. Job wanted to get this all straightened out. He uh, if he was innocent, he wanted God to acquit him. And if he was guilty, he wanted God to at least tell him what he had done wrong so that he can change it, maybe repent of it, and, and get rid of the suffering. Isn't that what we want to do sometimes when we know something's wrong? If I would have known how to fix it, I could have fixed it. 
I hear that a lot. If I would have known how to fix it, I would have been able to fix it. You know, uh, I remember at the beginning when I started, I talked about um, rules make sense. They kind of add order to our lives in an essence. Um, you know, follow the rules. We please what we think sometimes. Follow the rules. We're pleasing God. It, it's, you know, what's funny in the story is God doesn't declare uh, Job innocent or guilty. It, it's really my favorite part. He changes the subject and he begins to talk about the wonders of the world and all that he had created. Because God did answer Job when you read the story. He comes and he answers him. And, and God, he, he tells him about how I formed the earth. I created everything in it. It says that he put limitations on the sea where it couldn't go any further uh he even controls the weather it's my favorite part of the story let's let's look in chapter 38 uh uh chapters four i'm sorry chapters 38 verses four through seven this is this is what the lord responded to job where were you when i established the earth tell me if you understand who fixed the dimensions certainly you know who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Question mark. Now, I mean, over and over we see God reminding Job of his majesty and his glory. And he throws out any uh, example of I mean, he gives many examples of his wonderful and his powerful creation and what he's created. I mean, I kind of see when I read that, you know, and I'm a smart aleck. I was raised by smart aleck. It's just the way we, uh, and so, but when I read that, I'm not very uh, great at grammar and literary, uh, but this is a great uh, uh, poetic uh, book. But I, I, I sense a little sarcasm when I read that. I don't know about you. Did you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Come on. This is what God was saying to Job. He's, it was a little sarcastic. And, and as I said before, you should definitely read the story because it's a really cool story. Um, Job wanted answers. And, and here's the deal. He thought that obedience equaled blessings. I mean, don't we think that today? If, I, if I'm obedient to God, well, then he's going to reward me. And then a lot of times we find out, well, I've been so obedient, I don't feel any reward. Um, Job, he wanted an explanation of why his obedience was being rewarded with suffering. Because in the, in the beginning, when you read the story, it even said that God said he was upright. God's the one that called him uh, the most uh, upright person in the world. And, you know, and perhaps there wasn't an answer for Job's question. But I, I believe, you know, God did answer him. And he answered Job. Uh, uh, he needed him to understand. God wanted Job to understand his human limitations. And understand that God is in control and that God will take care of us. A lot of times we, I feel, we forget about our human limitations. And we forget about how great 
God is and how he's going to take care of us. And, you know, here's the deal. God wasn't um, looking for good deeds. He wasn't looking for uh, Job to be obeying the rules, He uh, to reward Job with this great life. The, the good life came from Job recognizing God's majesty and, and, and the power that God had. And this is what Job was doing. He was showing others how awesome God truly was with all that he had. He was showing others. So living in obedience to Jesus is about having the right perspective of who God is. Definition of obedience is the practical acceptance of the authority and the will of God. So here's the deal. It includes submitting to him and then expressing that submission into action, words and deeds. And we've got to put this into action. It's just like I say all the time that our obedience is going to be in agreement with God. We can read this rule book. <laughs> we can read this book all we want and understand it from front to cover. And that's great. But unless you apply it to your life, it's just another book. It's not going to be effective. It's not going to come alive until you apply it to your life. That's how God speaks to us. At the end of the story, uh, Job, we, we see where he received all his stuff back. I didn't put it on the screen, but in chapter 42, verses 12 and 13, it says, So the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than, than the earlier. He owned 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. Um, he had more sons and daughters. He had more children. Um, God had just really uh, uh, given all the things back uh, that, that he had before plus. But Job was given these things not because he was always good, but because he glorified God with, with all that he had. I mean, God paid attention to the intentions of Job's heart, not the actions. You know, he sees our actions. But you remember in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know that as the love chapter. Yeah, Pastor Frank's preached about it a couple weeks ago. And so, but I have it on the screen. It says, and if I give away all my possessions, and I give, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So, you know, we can do all this stuff on the outside so that everyone sees us play in church, and we're doing it, and we're playing by the rules. But let me remind you, God is looking at the intentions of your heart. And he knows the intentions of your heart. So it's kind of like Job's heart equaled love, which in fact showed that the outward actions do not matter without love behind them. You know, you can take a... Uh, food to the, uh, a family in need every day of the week. But if you didn't do it with love, God says it's nothing. Your self-pride, maybe. That's what we're finding out that Job had. But, you know, the bigger blessing was that Job learned uh, obedience. He, he understood and accepted the authority and the will of God. And, and here's the thing. No matter what you and I, no matter what we go through, God's going to take care of us. God's going to take care of us. Amen? No matter what we go through, God also um, is always there for us. 
He's, he's never going to forsake us. He's never going to leave us. When we feel the most alone, he's there. Okay? Um, what did Job also receive? I mean, he, he did get all his stuff back. But he received a greater understanding and a greater relationship with God. Doesn't that happen when we go through trials of life? When things come up in our life, we, we somehow, at that moment, as Christians... We, we are pulled back toward God. We, we, we find ourselves falling back going, I don't understand, but God, you do. And we find ourselves leaning on him, trusting that Christ is going to supply all that we need, especially our hope and our peace. And you know, that's much better than donkeys and sheep and oxen, isn't it? I mean, God providing that, I mean, I would much rather have that. So, so here's my challenge for us today. The message is short, uh, but my challenge for us today is the next time you, I, we might need to complain about something in our life, think about Job. Think about Job, not about how he suffered or, or, and, and maintained faithfulness to God, but about what God taught him through this tough experience. You know, and God taught him that he has limitations, and God does not. God is fully prepared. Here's the thing. Just like he showed, just like he told Job about how his majesty, how mighty his power, how he has authority, he is ready to show you the same thing. He is ready to show you his mighty power, his his authority. But most of all, this is what the Lord is ready to show you, love. And a lot of times that's hard for us to receive because it's hard for us to give. You know, especially those that done something wrong to us or, you know, stabbed us in the back or, you know, you fill in the blank. Um, our obedience to God comes from a place of love for him and our desire to glorify him, our desire to glorify God. This is a, a, a quote I want to leave you with. Um, <laughs> Bill Johnson said this, obedience is not measured by our ability to obey laws and principles. Obedience is measured by our response to God's voice. So maybe you're here today and you've never responded to God's voice. Maybe you've never realized that he's talking to you. But here's the deal. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there is no room for error there. Everyone is guilty of sin, period. There's no way around that. And, and we can easily look at each other's life and see that. We can see that in Job's life. You know, he was upright and blameless, but he had some pride going on, baby. I mean, he had some issues. Obviously, he had sin in his life because if we look at the beginning, he was sacrificing things to God. And even a little extra in case his kids forgot. If he, was, if he was perfect and, and, and no sin, there would be no reason for sacrifice, you know. God is the only one that's perfect. God is the only one. And so maybe you are here today and you've never said, God, forgive me from where I've jacked it all up. And I'm sure that most of you are, but as Preachers, we're, we're supposed to never assume that you have a relationship with God. And I pray that you do. But if you don't, 
Maybe you need to just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. Maybe you need to, to, to ask him for that new life that he provides, because it is a new life, and, and he uh, is there with us during that new life. So if that's you, Miss Tara's going to come, uh, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing our hymn, in it, hymn of invitation because we're a Southern Baptist gospel-preaching, Bible-thumping church. And we do invitations because it's important, because we feel like, you know, we need to give you an opportunity to respond to what God might be saying in your life. And so maybe you've already said, let's go ahead and stand up. This is stand in sign language, by the way. Maybe, maybe you've already said yes to God, but you've been struggling with something. You've, been, you've got something going on, and you just really haven't given it to him. There used to be a cross there, but pretend it's still there. And if you need to, come up here and pray and kneel down and just say, Lord, I'm giving you that. And just pretend the cross is there. There's a cross behind that. Just form the cross in your mind. Give it to God and leave it there. So you come. That's you today. Pastor Frank and I will be standing here. I had to invite him to come over here. Frank, come on over.